This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 30 of the Equestrian Legends Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Coachman David Saunders. I am Glenn Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network, and our guest this time on Equestrian Legends is Coachman David Saunders. David Saunders has certainly led an extraordinary life and an amazing life and certainly deserves to be in the category of equestrian legend. David held the title of head coachman to the Duke of Edinburgh, Royal Muse, Windsor Castle, England, and was with Prince Philip from the inception of combined driving. So he has seen the development of combined driving right from its earliest days. As a member of the Royal Muse, he spent 20 years working for the Royal Family as the coachman. David was the inspiration for the book Competition Carriage Driving and the Royal Four-in-Hand video produced by the Duke of Edinburgh and appears in all the Duke's equine books. David was involved in the design of the Open Back Step Marathon Carriage, now used in competitions, and has designed several harness innovations and some new driving bits. Now a citizen of the United States residing in Florida, Saunders has contributed to the growth of carriage driving in general and has represented the United States in World Pair Driving Championships. Prior to his move to the United States, he represented Great Britain in several pair and four-in-hand world championships, winning the four-in-hand British National Four-in-Hand Championships in 1988. Since arriving in the United States, Saunders has been a member of the USET, representing the U.S. with a foreign hand and at the World Pair Championships. He then became highly sought after for his coaching knowledge and experience. His coaching students have included such esteemed drivers as Gloria Austin, Misty Wrigley, and Tucker Johnson. Saunders is one of the select few who is credentialed to judge sanctioned coaching events in the United States. David's most recent achievement is chief steward driving for the International Equestrian Federation, the FEI. David has many awards to his name, Silver Jubilee Medal for Long and Loyal Service to the Queen of England, Order of the Orange Nassau from the Queen of the Netherlands, Medal of Honor from His Majesty the King of Sweden, a Medal of Honor from His Majesty the King of Nepal, a Medal of Honor from the International Equestrian Federation, and a special award from the Worshipful Company of Coachmakers and Coach Harness Makers of London in the UK. Let's hear from David Saunders. Well, hi, David, and congratulations on making it to the Equestrian Legends show. Thank you, Glenn. I'm honored to be here. <laughs> well, I'm very excited that you were able to join us today and that I'm able to speak with you because I have so much fun when you've been a guest on the shows in the past. And I just, I, everybody, you know, we always get reaction when you're on and you have a fascinating life that uh, you're probably one of a kind in this world right now as far as what the life you've lived. Well, that's true. My mother always said I was one of a kind. <laughs> for different reasons. Yeah, for different reasons, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but well, let's talk about that. Let's go back to day one. Where were you born? I was born in a little town called Abiad, which is on the Suez Canal near, I think it's the south end of the, uh, the Suez Canal, Port Fade. My father was in the military at the time, and I was born in North Africa, in Egypt. And your father was British? British military, yeah. yes. He was over there protecting the uh, the soon-to-be nationalized Suez Canal. Uh, at the time, the the Egyptians had changed from a monarchy to a, a federal government, and they were nationalizing it. So the, the British and the French, who had built the Suez Canal, were kind of sent troops over there to protect it. But uh, that was just... I, I just happened to be, to be born in a British military hospital at the time. Now, so he would have been over there, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here, it would have been just after World War II? This was 1952 I was yeah, born. okay. So just around the, yeah, been, been 10 years after World War II. Was Correct, done. Yeah. yeah. Still in the rebuilding phase in Europe. Correct, yeah. At that point. And were your, were your parents, either one of them, into horses? Was the family into horses? My grandfather, my, my father's father, was... MFH, Master of Foxhounds, but they were actually um, uh, Basset Hounds, actually, uh, in Melton Mowbray, which is in the centre of, uh, of England, big hunting country. So my grandfather was very horsey. My father was always a member of the Saddle Club in uh, different military ba bases, but I really had nothing to do with horses in the early part of my life, not till I was 14, 15. Do you, do you remember, did you ever go watch your grandfather? No, no, I don't remember him. I, I, no, yeah. I have no, no recollection of that, I'm afraid. 
As a side note, did you ever fox hunt after that? Yes, I, I, I've uh, f- um, been fox hunting a couple of times in England and a couple of times in America, actually, up with the Myopia Hunt Club yes, yes. and uh, the Blue Ridge um, somewhere. In Virginia? Virginia, yeah. that's it, yeah. yeah. So, you, so you, your early days were spent uh, traveling? Did he move a lot or did you stay right there? Well, uh, I'm what's called a, an army brat or a military brat. So uh, every 18 months was a tour of duty. We moved somewhere else. So, um, and, and it was kind of okay when you were traveling um, to different bases in the Middle East, the Far East or Germany because everyone else was in the same boat. So they were either Navy, Army or Air Force and they were coming and going. So everybody was kind of on the same plane. But when I, when I eventually came back to England, when my father was made redundant, they had too many NCOs and uh, they decided that government cutbacks. Uh, when we came back to England, my last two years of school were kind of at a school where everyone knew everybody. And uh, so I was kind of at a major disadvantage. But one thing it taught me going to these other schools was to make friends fast. Well, which came in handy in life later. Exactly. (laughs) So how old were you when you moved back to England then full-time? Probably 13 or 14, yes. And then that's when horses came back into the picture? Well, what it was was... um, I was looking for a summer job, um, you know, during the school holidays, because I'd always worked when, when, when... when I was abroad in the military, you call it a PX, we call it the NAFI, um, which is kind of like a, a, a grocery store for, for military or Air Force people. So I always worked from when I was 11 years old, restocking shelves, or there was a bowling alley, for instance, I worked in the bowling alley, there was a, a, a cinema, a movie house that I, I was a projectionist for a while when I was very young, because you, know, you, you worked to make some extra money. So I was looking for a summer job, and... Just opposite where we were living, there was a polo uh, player, had a polo field and rather a large uh, place with polo ponies. But it wasn't actually the polo ponies that attracted me. It was the cute girls, you know, being (laughs) fairly teenager and hormonal. I, uh, you know, I was attracted by the young girls. So I kind of went over there and asked for a job and they said, sure, you can start mowing the... uh, um, the polo fields and uh, then I got into helping the girls in the yard and then they kind of taught me to ride and we went on from there. And uh, so did you ever compete in riding at that age? Were you doing any competition or playing polo? No, uh, not really. I mean, I, we exercised the polo ponies. That was kind of all I did really. Um, that was really the extent of what I did. It was just learned to ride polo ponies and took them to the, to the polo matches and, and, and back again. So it was chase girls and ride polo ponies. Kind of every young man's dream, yes. <laughs> yes, I was just going to say that. <laughs> At what point... Did you go to college then after... Uh, no. Uh, what, what, what happened was that I, I was probably 14, and being born in September, I, could, I kind of left school when I was like 14 and a half because I, I saw no future. I hated school. I, actually, I love education now, and you know, I'm practicing to learn several languages, but it, it, I had no... Nothing really, no interest at all in 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 learning anything from school. I wanted to get out and work because that's what I'd always done. So I kind of left school when I was fourteen and a half, something like that, and 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 started working with polo ponies. So this the kind of summer job turned into a kind of full time job. And from there, well, it was interesting because this is where the driving came in. The the place where we used to exercise was a place called Chobham Common, and a common area of land in England is where you know. All the people in the village can turn their goats, pigs, horses out. Uh, so it's a common area of land. So that's where we used to exercise the polo ponies. And I remember seeing this guy. His name was Peter Munt. And he had uh, carriages. And he was driving carriages. And it was getting towards the end of the season because polo is a seasonal job. And, um, you know, we would bump into these guys driving the carriage. And one of the guys said to me, oh, you know, what are you doing at the end of the season? I said, well, I don't know. And he, well, we've got this big film job coming up. You know, I'll talk to the boss and see if... And I said, yeah, put me down for it. So I kind of transferred over to to carriage horses. And that's where it started, huh? That's really where it started, because I found out I was a better driver than I was a rider. (laughs) (laughs) Weren't as many girls to chase over in that barn, though. Well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So do you remember, what was the first horse you ever drove? Do you remember? I think it was a, a draft horse. It was in a movie, and, and it was a uh, what what they call a pickering float, and it was um, just a, 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 a single uh, wooden 
vehicle uh, with iron tyres that this draft horse was in, and I, I, I forget the movie it was in, or it may have been a, a television series or something like that, but I, I forget the name of the horse. I wish I could remember. But So how did that all lead down the road to, to Windsor Castle? Well, I... Uh, I started uh, driving different carriages for different film jobs and started to learn to drive single and pair and stuff like that. And um, actually, it didn't lead to carriages. The next job I did was, uh, after working for that guy in the film and television industry, I, 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 I learned to shoe horses. So I was a, a, a farrier. Um, and the British have several uh, degrees in that. I was kind of probably a, like what they call an RSS, a registered shoeing smith. So I was shoeing horses for a long time, and uh, I, I just got married. Uh, uh, I, was, I don't know, I was 21, something like that, 20, something like that, and was just living in a rented house, a rented apartment it was actually, above a hairdresser's. And um, the Horse and Hound, which is like a, a weekly British magazine for hunting. It's and the most and it, famous weekly British absolutely, magazine. <laughs> absolutely. And it has um, uh, the classified ads at the back, situations, you know, vacant and situations wanted. And uh, there was just a fairly... Obnic- well, I can't remember. I forget the right word now. But anyway, there was a fairly... Innocuous. S- innocuous. That's the word I was looking for. A classified ad that said, uh, driving groom wanted, Windsor area, accommodation provided. And as I just got married and I was living above a hairdresser's and, you know, struggling to pay the rent and everything else like that, I thought, this this might be something. I've done some carriage driving and I've worked for several people doing different things. I'll apply for it. So I applied to this post office box number and, and sent my resume, a CV, whatever you'd like to call it, and um, thought no more of it. And I don't know, a week, 10 days later, the phone rang at eight o'clock at night. And uh, so I picked up the phone. I said, yes. And a voice at the end of the phone said in a very BBC accent, is that David Saunders? And I said, yes. Is that David Edward Saunders? I said, Yes. And I'm thinking to myself, I must be in some Bill sort of collector. Trouble. That's right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. IRS is calling. Well, the next words out of this guy's <laughs> mouth were, he said, my name is Major Phelps, and I am the superintendent at the Royal Mews Buckingham Palace. And I thought about it, and I said, well, I expect you are. And I put the phone down. <laughs> you hung up on him? I hung up on him. because <laughs> You must get that a lot. Uh, well, I mean, how often does the <laughs> yes, White House exactly. call you, Glenn? Come right, on, exactly. you know, Buckingham I'd hang Palace. up too. Well, why are they calling me? <laughs> So anyway, the phone rang back again, and uh, this guy said, "Oh no, don't hang up. You applied for this job." Blah 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 blah. And he said it was at Windsor Castle. Prince Philip had just started driving. It was, it, it, yeah, in the uh, mid seventies, and he just started driving, and he just kind of written the rules for combined driving, and 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 and. And uh, so I went for an interview and uh, and got the job. How old were you then? Mid twenties. Yeah, probably twenty three, twenty four, something like that. Yeah. And did the accommodations include uh, taking your wife along? Yes. Okay. Well, it was it was kind of a double-edged sword, actually. I'd have been better if I'd have been single, because the single guys got, you know, uh, uh, a really nice uh, little room, uh, three meals a day. They got someone to do their washing and ironing. I got an unfurnished apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, and, and, and it, while it's lovely working for Her Majesty, she really doesn't pay very well. So I, I had to get a job in the evening working at Heathrow Airport, driving a truck, uh, to actually buy furniture and stuff like that. Is that so, right? So I'd finish work at, you know, 5, 5.30, and at uh, 9 o'clock I was delivering bonded exports um, at Heathrow Airport, yeah. Didn't see your wife much in those days. No, no. That's why it took us probably five or six years to have, a, have my wonderful little daughter, Samantha. So now when you first started there, I, tell me about the first day walking in there to work. Well, it was interesting. Um, being a, a an army brat, you you tend to, uh, and this is what stood me in good stead. I think going to all these different schools, you you tend to work out what's going on very quickly. And either uh, that, or you got beat up. So exactly. <laughs> so at the time, there was a retired major, um, a Major Thompson, who was running the yard for Prince Philip. He'd just started, and there was six horses and three grooms, and and I was replacing one of these grooms, and it, we weren't even a groom. I was, and I still have my contract, actually, when I first went there. I was considered a junior liveried servant. Well, all three of those words don't really have a good ring to them. No. I'm junior, I'm liveried, which means they give you clothes, and you're a servant. So it's, it's, that's how I started. But what I did that see... That dates back to the 1700s. Indentured servants, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 
And uh, but what I did see straight away was a, a chance to actually do something with this this job because I could see that Major Thompson was getting fairly close to retirement. These other guys kind of weren't that interested, and I thought, well, I think I can get my nose in here and work my way up the ladder. So what did you do? What was your job when you first started there? Well, basically in the Royal Mews, each man takes care of two horses, uh, which doesn't sound a lot, but they have to be, obviously, it's not just the horses, it's all the harness that you have to clean and all the rest of the bits and pieces. Um, So my job was taking care of two horses, and uh, it was a a gelding and a mare called Buttercup and Doric. You remember their names? I remember their names, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were... were, um, I think it's funny that they have ordinary names that we would give our horses. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, some of them don't, but, uh, yeah. but it was interesting because the Queen was, especially when, when the Queen started this breeding program of homebred horses, and, and that was one of the proudest moments of her life when, when Prince Philip, her husband, was driving her homebred horses at World Championships, and, and she named all the horses, so it was kind of cute. So when he first started driving, where, where did that interest come from? And he was a little older than even at that point. Yes, he was probably 50. 50s? Yeah, yeah, in the yeah. 50s. And he'd, for 25 years, he'd played polo. And um, so he'd come from, he'd, he'd, he'd always had horses, but he'd, he'd played polo, which is really a completely different thing to driving horses. Um, and he wanted to do something that was still competitive, but was a bit more regal as it were and he was president of the fei at the time prince philip and and probably a lot of people don't know that that he was well yeah he was president of the fei and he was he was a very good president in fact a lot of people say he was probably one of the best presidents because he had a lot of influence you know being president of the world wildlife fund and 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 he had a lot of power and he, he he was a horseman all his life so but he'd given up polo because of various reasons you know he was getting on a bit and he had this arthritis in his wrist so that held me in very good stead because you know the people I've worked for since then have been you know vintage people and they can't have horses that pull so I learned at a very age that horses have to be light in your hand at what point did you transition from taking care of these horses to training the horses and to you know the next step well I kind of worked my way up to um as the British military say 2IC second in charge and um then I heard that uh, Major Thompson had, was going to retire, and um, normally in, in the Royal Mews or in the Royal Household anywhere, um, they're all jobs for the boys. You know, it's the old school tie or the old military tie. And, um, you know, I was, I, I was quite, I, I thought, dynamic with Prince Philip and pushing, you know, he was coming up with different ideas. Um, as president of the FEI, he'd get letters, you know, can we try a one-handed third? I remember him getting a letter from Colonel Thackeray, who was uh, an American. He was uh, uh, chair of the driving committee, asking if it was possible to do a 30-meter one-handed circle. And uh, we went out and did it. I mean, nowadays, we're, they're doing 15-meter one-handed circles at the canter and, and all the rest of it. But in them days, it was really quite quite a thing. So... I helped him with them, and I was very enthusiastic, obviously, and I think Prince Flip saw something in me, one would hope, that, that I was dynamic and I was I was interested in the sport, and he was de- developing the sport. He'd actually written the rules or set up the committee for the rules. And this is combined driving. For combined them. driving. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, he's the father of the sport. All these, you know, all these new drivers really should be thanking him because he got the sport going. Um, so I, I was out driving him with him one day, and I just said, oh, I hear uh, Major Thompson retiring, sir. And he said, uh, well, yes. And I said, well is there any chance of me having the job? And Prince Philip looked at me a bit sideways and said, I don't see why not. And I said, well, do I need to speak to someone? He said, no, 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 leave it to me. Well, of course, then the Palace Mafia get on the phone. How dare you? How dare you be so familiar with his royal highness and ask him a question like that? And I, I thought, well, you know, he asked me a question and, you know, I, I'd talk to anybody, you know, it's just whoever you talk to. Um, but anyway, Prince Philip insisted and he could see that, uh, you know, I could help him along. But I, I did pay the price throughout my career, 20 years working for the Queen, because obviously I was part of his pleasure. I mean, most of the other people, all the other horses in the mews were, were kept just for ceremonial things. So all the other coachmen really only saw members of the royal family when they were on some sort of ceremonial junket parades and all that whatever stuff. Yeah. yeah and we did all those as well but of course every weekend you know prince philip would come from the office i.e buckingham palace bp to 
Windsor Castle, which was the country home, and we would drive at weekends. And, of course, we were training green horses and we were developing a sport that is now, you know, as you know, Chester Webb has just won Royal Windsor Horse Show. And, you know, but Prince Philip had this in mind. He had this grand design in his mind. And uh, it was... it, it was nice that he shared it. I mean, for instance, the, the first marathon carriage, we built this thing called the Iron Maiden. Prince Philip was at... The, we had a, a an aircraft Because they used to use just regular pleasure carriages. That's right. Oh, yeah. And we used to break everything. All the bits of wood <laughs> used to drop off. I can remember... Wheels. My, before, before the marathon, my first job was to take a long piece of rope and do half hitches from the splinter bar all the way down the pole, the wooden pole, to the leader bar. In case bars. it broke, so it wouldn't fall off. It <laughs> and it often used to break, yes. But but Prince Philip, you know, being very dynamic, was was interested in trying to improve the sport. And he, he, he said to me one day, oh, I've just been to uh, British Aerospace where they're designing the plane called the Concorde. And they've developed this new type of uh, aluminum, aluminium, or it was, it was an alloy, actually, called duralumin. And he said, uh, they've asked me if, you know, because I'm patron of something or other, they asked me what I wanted. I was thinking of asking for four wheels. What do you think, David? And I said, what a good idea. Because in the old days, we used wheels with hubs on. Of course, the hubs used to get stuck on things. So we wanted some sort of flush hub. So our first attempt was this thing called the Iron Maiden, which we'd kind of built with these Concord wheels on. But actually, that didn't work out um, because it was we 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 made the mistake of designing it on old lines uh, and then our next um attempt was uh, we went to artistic iron products michael mart and we bought an undercarriage and four wheels and we built our own carriage and uh, i've posted it on facebook a couple of times but actually you know Prince Philip and I designed the open back, the bumper bars, the floating pole, uh, the four disc brakes, all that good stuff, the wedge. Um, it's all been improved since then, but actually that was the first But the proto- fundamental design is absolutely still the same. Absolutely, was, yeah. was, was me and Prince Philip. Because, and it was funny because we were driving at Sandringham and we'd go out with a pair and Prince Philip would get it wrapped around a tree and I had a wax crayon and I would mark where was getting stuck. And that afternoon, George Bushell, who was the engineer who was building it for us, would cut a bit off and weld another bit on and then we'd go out the next day. <laughs> and of course, Prince Philip was fascinated with this, absolutely fascinated. So so he could see that, just to get back to your original point, why he promoted me was that he, he could see that I had a passion for, for, for driving and for horses and still do, by the way. Um, but that, getting back to that being sort of a semi-curse too is that you were on call all the time, whereas these guys were off on weekends. Well, yes, and, yeah. and of course, the other thing is, I mean, I can remember the first day Prince Philip came down, we were out driving, and he said, uh, do you mind if I call you David? Because I, until then, all the royals, you were called by your surname, Saunders. Mr. So-and-so. No, 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 not even Mr., it was just, just Saunders. Saunders. Yes, okay. and he said, uh, oh, do you mind if I call you David? And of course, being me, I said, well, do I still have to call you sir? And he said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> But of course, that was really the kiss of death because these, you know, all these other palace mandarins, then they couldn't call me Saunders because Prince Philip was calling me David. So if if we were in the same country, they, a company rather, they couldn't call me Saunders and him call me David. So it was, but but also, you know, when you go to, a, you've competed and you've inter- interviewed people that have been in competitions. You know, when you're at a, comp- at a competition, you know, if you're the top rider at the Olympics, your boy or girl groom, whoever is, is just as important. And yes. the, 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 the trials and the tribulations and, the, and the, the happiness and the sadness is shared by all of you because the horse is, is an unknown quantity. It doesn't matter how wonderful the horse can perform, it can still have a problem. That's why we do it because it, it, it is such a challenge. And um, so Prince Philip, I believe, shared a lot of interest with me. And of course, Her Majesty the Queen loved when we started driving these homebred horses. She loved it. So she would always come over and talk to me. And of course, you you have to understand, you know, people that have been there for years, what the hell is Her Majesty speaking to that groom about, you know? Well, you know, I wasn't a groom, I was a coachman. And you know, I I had a lot of interest and a, a lot of everything else. And of course, being members of the royal family, if they wanted to talk to you, they did talk to you. So I know she rides. Did she ever drive the Queen? No, no, no not, not to my knowledge. Mm. I think she may have done driven a pony when she was young, but she she was much more of a rider. 
Yeah. Did she go along? Were, were, did they ever go for casual pleasure drives just for the fun? They who? Uh, the Queen and uh, Prince Philip? No, no, no. The Queen, would. we would often meet Her Majesty when she was riding, and she would ride alongside, um, especially at Sandringham when they were on vacation. But, but no, she, would, she never rode with us in the carriage. So she never did. She ever come watch the competitions? Oh yes, yeah. Windsor Horse Show, which is just finished. With right. the, say Chester Webber just won. I remember. I think it was in the mid eighties. Prince Philip was slated to drive there, and for some reason he had to leave the country and go somewhere on some official business. He said, "Oh, you drive the horses." Well, talk about pressure driving the Queen's horses <laughs> at Royal Windsor. You don't want to come in last. <laughs> no, no, no. I think we were fifth or sixth, but uh, it's a lot of pressure with having her watching you. By the way having to compete at a major international horse show, driving Her Majesty the Queen's horses with her watching, and, of course, you know, her husband normally drives them, it was, it was really a lot of pressure. So I didn't want to take any chances. But, again, as I said to you earlier about how things set you up for later on in life, it, it, I've always had this philosophy of when I train horses for people, I'm training for them to drive. You know, people often say to me, if I'm giving them some sort of instruction, oh, you drive the horse. I can drive the horse. That's what I'm good at. My job is to get you to drive well. That's 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 the trick. And of course, um, it was a driving the Queen's horses with her at every obstacle, marathon obstacle, watching you and during the dressage uh, was really quite uh, quite a lot of pressure. But you you kind of get used to it, you know. So he he really was the father of the modern day CD, uh, CDE uh, combined driving and. I, I did have a question uh, from somebody that wanted me to ask you. The three phases, were they strictly modeled after eventing, ridden eventing, or did, did he have a reason for the three phases uh, on his own? Well, originally it was actually four phases. Right, with the, yes. With the presentation. Yeah, right. But it was modeled after combined training or three-day eventing, eventing or right. military, whatever you right. like to call it. And it was military back, back it, in exactly. the day. Exactly, and, yeah. and, and it was designed along the same ideals that... Um, the military trained their horses to be able to do dressage because if you were fighting with a sword in your hand, you needed the horse to sidestep and go backwards and rear up or, or gallop or trot or whatever. Um, on the cross-country phase, if you were in battle and you had to leap over a dead body or a cannon, you had to do it. Um, uh, and, and the show jumping was designed as uh, the same thing for jumping. But what they did with the drive, the combined driving in the, ori the original part was there was a presentation part because it, remember it came from coaching, you know, the coaching people kind of set it up originally. And um, so there was a presentation phase where it was, everything was all pretty and that was a, a phase by itself. And then you had the dressage test, which was really compared with what we do now, really very, fairly simple. Um, and then, of course, the cross-country, I think, was a lot harder then because we used to have a five-section marathon, two walk sections. There was a fast section, section C, which was between 18 and 20 kilometers an hour. And then the final section was normally with the obstacles in it. And then the, the cones were really just designed to show that the horses were still sound and supple and you could still drive them after the marathon. You weren't kind of putting them at any risk. So it was modeled really very closely to combined training. When did you start competing? We started competing with Prince Philip. Did you do your own? Were you competing at all on your own during that time you were with the... Well, I, I competed with the Queen's four, as I said, at Royal Windsor Horseshoe, and I competed with a pair a couple of times for the Queen for, for, for various reasons. And, of course, Prince Philip started this thing called the Windsor Park Equestrian Club, and there was driving there almost every weekend during the summer. So we would... Um, Prince Philip would drive a pair. If you look at my website, there's a picture of me sitting next to Prince Philip, and I'm driving, and he's sitting next to me. He would groom for me, and I would groom for him, you know? And we'd take up three pairs or two pairs or a four and a pair or something like that just for training. So I competed when I was working for the Queen, yes. I get the impression that he's a royal, but he's also a pretty straight shooter as far as, you know, letting you know what, how he feels about stuff. And Well, you have to remember he was a sailor. And if you know anything about sailors, they really shoot from the hip and from the mouth. Um, but Prince Philip is one of those very lucky men that he's, he's very unusual because he's a man's man. By every stretch of the imagination, he's macho, strong go-getter but he's also a ladies man that he can work a cocktail party like nobody else i know so he's you know most of us are kind of men's men or ladies men but he's 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 a real double act as it were
Which is why he ended up Prince Philip. Exactly. <laughs> That's why he captured the Queen's heart, <laughs> right, exactly. obviously. So now you, you worked for them for 20 years. Just about 20 years, yeah. Why did you leave? Well, I didn't really leave. Well, I did leave, but Prince Philip retired. Um, what happened is kind of uh, halfway through, well, three quarters of the way through, through my time with him, he, he wanted to keep driving. So he had a place up in Balmoral. The Queen goes up there for her summer holidays. And they have these fell ponies and highland ponies up there that they use for stalking, for bringing the beast off the mountain, you know, because the Queen hates having Land Rovers driving all over the place. So... So he'd said to me that he wanted to do some driving up there, and would I go up there one weekend and, and, and get these guys, show them how to, they, they knew how to drive, but they hadn't put a four together. And um, let me just tell you one funny story. Yes. The, the man in charge was a guy called David Muir, and I'm David Saunders. So we, we were up there driving and showing him around, and he said, oh, would you like to come out on the hill with me, David, today? And I said, sure. So we went out on the hill, and we, we got out and walked and had a pair of binoculars, and we came across the pony man who was waiting in the valley. And the pony man would wait in the valley with the radio. They used radios. And the stalker with the guest would shoot the beast and then the, the radio down to the pony man and the pony man would go up and the pony would bring it off the hill, the, the, the beast. And uh, so I'm stood there and the, the pony man disappears for a pee and David Muir says, oh, I'm just going for a pee. And they, he left his radio there, the pony man. So uh, um, comes across on the radio... Davy, are you there, Davy? So I thought I'd better answer it. So I picked up. I said, uh, this is David Saunders here from Windsor Castle. Over. And the other guy on the other end of the thing couldn't believe it. He must have left the key open because he said, Jesus Christ, I never knew these things could go that far. <laughs> <laughs> but we had, we, had a great, we had a great time teaching him to drive. But anyway, I... I, I Went off at a tangent there. The The thing was, he was driving these ponies, and he could see that he was he wanted to retire at a certain age. He didn't want to go on and on and on, an old man driving. So he decided he'd, he picked a date that he was going to, or a year, he was going to kind of retire. But he wasn't going to retire completely from driving. He was going to trans, transverse over to, to ponies, to fell ponies, which, you know, I'd got going for him. And, you know, the pony men up in Scotland had got going for him. So... When it came to that time, I was kind of offered, because you know, I was still, you know, working for the Queen, and I was still a civil servant working for the Queen, um, I could have kind of gone back to um, to Buckingham Palace and uh, and kind of just lived my days out there, but that really wasn't for me. I, I'd got this sport going, and I'd been offered another job and working for somebody else, so when he moved on to the, the, the ponies, I kind of moved on working for somebody else. Now, before we get off of your time at, at uh, working for the royal family, I, I did notice in your bio that uh, you had the opportunity during that time to do a couple of the, the parades and the weddings. What is, you know, and I, I guess my question is, what are your fondest memories of the time at, at uh, Windsor? Two, two of the best, three of the best parades. I mean, they're all wonderful. Riding up Ascot with the Queen and you go up the Royal Mile. And, and this is with those unbelievable carriages. And, yes, the, yeah. you're riding postillion and you, you break into these 40, 50, 60,000 people and they all cheer. They're not cheering for you, they're cheering for the Queen, obviously. Riding to Ascot is wonderful. It's hard work because you have to do it for four days and it's, it's a long way up there and a long way back. But three of the, the best occasions was the, the, the Silver Jubilee when she was 25 years on the throne. Uh, which is when my daughter was born, actually. I was born the year the Queen ascended to the throne, 52, and my daughter was born 77 when she was 25 years on the throne. Samantha. Samantha Jane. Um, so doing the Silver Jubilee was the other one. The, the, the other um, interesting thing was that the, the Queen has two birthdays, because she's a Queen. She has her official birthday and she has her own birthday. Well, her official birthday parade is... is, is done in London, it's called Trooping of the Colour, where she inspects one of the guards' regiments. And Prince Philip had said to me that uh, he'd, he'd, he would always ride one of these police horses. And he, he used to dread it because they were always so wide and he didn't know them and blah, 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 blah. So he'd said to me one Christmas at Sandringham, I think I'd like to ride Solomon, which is one of our horses, for the Trooping of the Colour this year. And I said, OK, sir. And that's all I heard. So the next thing is I get a phone call from the military 
oh, I gather his royal highness is going to ride because Prince, uh, the Queen would ride a, a horse that the the Canadian Mounted Police had given her, Burmese, um, which was a Canadian horse, and um, which was a police horse as well, and um, so they said, oh, his royal highness wants to ride one of your horses. Well, you know, we need to make sure it's all right. And I said, well, it goes all right in the carriage, but of course, what I had to teach it to do was that Prince Philip wears a bear skin, which is literally a, a bear skin on top of his head, which is part of the guard's uniform. And he has to carry a saber and, 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 and. And um, so I had to teach this horse to do that. Well, I did do very well. Actually, another funny story. The year before, someone had tried to shoot the Queen with a, with a starting pistol and had frightened the horse. So I was determined that my horse was not, if anything like that ever happened, this was not going to happen to me. So um, I'd asked the security people for a pistol, a twenty-two, with some blanks, uh, you know, for training for this horse. And what I would do is I'd mount the horse with my bearskin on and my saber and ride it around the indoor arena. And then um, my second in command, my 2IC, Brian, Brian Stanley, um, I'd get him to rush out towards me and start firing the gun at me, you know, first and, you know, quietly at first. And in the end, he would just hide and just jump out and bang, 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 bang. And of course, the horse wouldn't move. And I said to him one day, I had a brilliant thought. I said, oh, let's do this out in the home park. You go and find a tree to hide behind and I'm going to ride around this circle and you come out anywhere in this circle and try and shoot me. Nothing could go wrong. Nothing could go wrong. <laughs> but I'd, I hadn't thought about, you know, security. And all, you know, oh. let, let, let's tell the rest of the world that are protecting the Queen that someone's out there with a gun shooting, you know. And uh, so Brian went out off in his, on his bicycle oh, no. and, and his gun and uh, um, hid in a bush and I, I'm trotting along and suddenly Brian goes, bang, 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 you're dead, you know, like that. Well, within seconds, we're surrounded. <laughs> Uh, uh, whose idea was this? Uh, me, me, me. <laughs> but but it, it it was a good exercise because the horse stood still when when everything else happened. But to get back to my main point, there's two rehearsals for the trooping of the color. There's an undressed rehearsal where they're not nobody's naked, but you're not wearing full dress uniform. Right. And then there's a dress rehearsal where everyone's in dress. Well, of course, the main participants like the members of the royal family only take part in the main event they don't do the dress rehearsal well sir john miller's uh, niece uh, sylvia stanya was always the queen that was her job well of course normally whoever the policeman that prince philip's horse was going to be it was, it was he was going to ride would stand in for prince philip well of course it was going to be me this time and let me tell you there is nothing nothing like riding onto Horse Guards Parade ground and 2,000 guardsmen giving you the royal salute. Because as far as they're concerned, with the dress rehearsal and the undress rehearsal, I am Prince Philip. Sylvia Stanya is the queen. They have to do everything as per the book. And when they play the national anthem and you sit up there and... It's it's all directed at you, not at me, but right, I mean, right. I, it is directed at me because I'm I'm Prince Philip for all intents and purposes. There is nothing quite like that. There's no drug in the world that can give you any sort of high quite like that. Let me tell you. And then the the, the final one that I'd like to mention was the fairy tale wedding, the Prince and Princess of Wales, which I know there's been several weddings before and several weddings afterwards, but this was monumental. Um, I couldn't hear the horses clip clopping on the. And this was Diana, we're talking yeah, the, about. Yeah, yep. Prince, Prince, Which Prince, all of us watched. Yeah, Princess Diana, yep. yeah. I think something like 60, 70 million I people I remember watching it, and everybody wanted to watch it live. Right. You couldn't record it back then. It was uh, pre-DVR. So. Absolutely. Yeah. But it was actually... We stayed home from work to watch yes, it. Yes, but it was yeah. actually a nightmare for us because there was four parades going there and two parades coming back. And during, when they were getting married, we had to jig round, uh, not change horses, but change carriages around because, the, you know, the, obviously going there, there was the bride's procession, the bridegroom's procession, the queen's procession, the, 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 the groom's procession. And then coming back, there was the bride and groom's procession and the queen's procession. Um, and I was lucky enough coming back to drive um, the bride's mother, Mrs. Shan Kidd, and the bridegroom's father, Prince Philip with his horses that we competed with. And um, at the time, we were having a little problem with Northern Ireland, with uh, the IRA, mm -hmm. um, the Irish Republican Army. It's all settled now, I hope. But there was lots of, you know... Now there were bombings all the bombings time. Bombings all, all over. Of and, of course, you know, one of the things that we were worried about were 
well, the police were worried about was someone throwing something underneath the carriage, you know, because there was so many crowds there. So we had, I'll probably get excommunicated for telling you this, but it wasn't just driving in the parade, but we had escape routes where there were planned, if something went wrong, we would just slap the horses up and turn left or turn right down a street. And you had to remember all them as well, if, especially if you had main people in, like I had Prince Philip in. So I was one of them, if there was going to be a target, one of the main targets. So you, you had all that in your mind, as well as you knew that, you know, you can't pick your nose because 90 million people are going to see you doing it, you know. Um, and you, you had to make sure your wig was straight and that your silk stockings were straight and all the rest of and it. And your horses so, weren't running and, off. And the horses weren't <laughs> running off. Yeah, exactly. All, all that sort of good stuff. And you were trying to avoid, you know, household cavalry and mounted policemen and, you know, people in strollers. And, you know, people were shouting and screaming and, uh, you know, and it actually all worked very well. It was, it was a great parade. It was beautiful. It worked very well. But it was a lot of strain. But looking back on it now, I was very proud to be. You were part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. To yeah. be part of it. That is really neat. That is really and not too too many people were. So Exactly. Yeah. 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 So now how old was your daughter when you how old was Samantha when you left the Royal Muse at that point? Um she was probably Twelve, thirteen, something. So, like that. did she ever get to visit? Did she ever get to come up? Did she get to go to uh, Daughter's Day at work? Oh yes, yes. yeah, oh yeah. She was well. She w- when we lived at Sandringham, I lived at Sandringham for a short time. Again, there's pictures on my website. You'll see a picture of me driving a sleigh, and there was, I think, thirteen, fourteen kids, and that was the Queen's School. There was only two teachers there, a headmaster and one teacher, and that was at West Newton. That's on the Queen's estate. So she actually went to the and the, and the Queen would often pop in. Oh, is so, that right? Oh, yeah. And, of course, there was always, um, every Christmas at the Royal Muse Buckingham Palace, all the children of all the staff in the Muse would get a present from the Queen, and she would give it to them. Father, Well, Father Christmas would give it to them, and then we'd put a, little wheels on a little sleigh, and they, they would, you, you can see it online, and then Father Christmas would sit in, and the Queen would come down, and we'd sing carols, and I remember, you know, young Prince Edward, and... Uh, Prince Charles and Princess Anne—they would all be down there singing carols, and it was—it was just for the the muse, and and the Queen would tour around, and no, no, no. The, uh, uh, Samantha was well known by His Royal Highness Prince Philip. Let's put it that way. What'd you do immediately after? Uh, immediately after I, I left working for. for, for for the Royal Muse, um, Prince Philip started this thing called the Sandringham Carriage Driving Centre at Sandringham. He, he kind of wanted to give something back to the sport. So I became the manager of that and, and started teaching people. But it it kind of didn't work out because, again, the the the, the mandarins in the palace didn't like anything, anything they couldn't control. And, of course, once you start controlling things too much, they don't work. And uh, I don't think they really liked... You know, the plebs driving around. If only governments would learn that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I ran the Sandringham Carriage Driving Centre for a while, and, and I got a lot of American clients coming over to drive. And um, so when that kind of didn't work out, I left, and I actually went to work in Belgium for a harness maker, Henk van der Weel, and uh, worked there for a bit, and then eventually came to America. Now, uh, was America because it was... Uh, why America? <clears throat> Why America? Because they asked me and they speak English. <laughs> <laughs> so it could have been Russia if they spoke English? <laughs> well, no, it was, it was just that I, I'd met um, several Americans that had been over to Windsor Horse Show. And uh, I knew, of course, Jill Ryder from the Carriage Association and her dad. And um, What year was this, by the way? Oh, now you're asking me. I want to say... Ninety-seven. I was going to say late nineties, from yeah, what I read. Yeah, yeah. ninety-six, ninety-seven, something like that. And uh, did the family come along? Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, my daughter was in college. She was going to Cambridge, and uh, so she, we left her there at school, and she would come over to visit. But actually, that's a funny story because when I got this resident alien card, you, you had to go to Grosvenor Square in London to the embassy to have like an uh, an x-ray for tb and a blood test and all this other stuff and i called up my daughter and said you know come for this interview I, i'm never going to come to america no bear in mind now she's married to america and you can't get her out of the place lives in sarasota <laughs> um i'm never going to come to i said darling just do it for me you, you you may never want to use it but 
please just come and get it. And she's thanked me ever since because she loves it here. Now, uh, so she was in college then. She didn't come over till later then. No, no, she yeah. didn't come over till ooh, she was probably 20, 21. And what did you do when you came here for, at first? At first, my first job was working in, working in um, South Texas for a guy called Stuart Morris, um, senior and junior for the Stuart Title uh, Company, um, taking care of being coachman for them, taking care of their carriages. That was that was the first thing I did, and then you know I I went to North Carolina and tried to do a little bit there by myself, and and it's people have to realize that when you work with horses, you don't make money, you make a living, but. And as I say, all oh, those we've years, all figured that out. Uh, right. I, <laughs> I worked for the Queen all those years, and you don't make any money, but you get this wonderful... Uh, you get to tell neat stories later. Exactly. <laughs> and as I say on my website, you know, um, from Richard III, a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. I mean, it was it, that's how important a horse was to him and to me. So horses have kind of given me everything. You were involved in 1990 in the first World Equestrian Games. Yes, it was the very first WEG. I think it was the only one that ever made any money, actually. It didn't make much, but it was in Stockholm, Sweden. The next couple were disasters. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and it seemed like a wonderful idea to have an equine Olympics. But, of course, you know, sometimes all these children don't play very nicely together. So, um, But, no, um, I was kind of freelancing then. And uh, this Swedish guy that lived in uh, England asked me to drive his horses and uh, and I made the team with uh, with George Bowman senior, and um, I think uh, Bill Long was driving for America then. So I went there, and it was my first World Championships, and you know I was obviously excited, and um, I went up for the dressage, and um, I followed Thomas Eriksson, who was the top Swedish driver. And what they did was, as you went, they went out, the one before you went out, and you went in and went around the ring. And then they announced the score of the one in front of you and then announced you and you went in. And uh, so I go in the ring and I'm driving around and thinking to myself, remember, turn left at A, at C. Remember to do the one-handed circle. Remember to do this. Remember to do that. And uh, they said in Swedish something and then a score. And um, then they said my name. And the next in the ring is David Saunders. And the crowd went wild. And I thought, well, they must really like me here. But of course, they were cheering for Thomas Erickson. It was what they were doing. But what it did was my horses just came alive. Well, the horses I was driving. So, and one thing that I hadn't realized either, Prince Philip was over there visiting Carl Gustav, King Carl Gustav of Sweden. And he was in the royal box watching. I mean, I didn't know that at the time. No one told me that. But uh, anyway, so I went into the ring, halted at X, saluted, took my hat off, put my hat back on. Said trot on, and I, I had no idea what my next movement was. I had, I, I had <laughs> completely blank. Completely blank, I tell you. I'm thinking, here I am. I've been given this chance, young driver, to drive at the World Championships, and I've screwed it. I don't know which way to go. Well, luckily, the horse is new to turn left. And it, it kind of, I thought, don't panic. Just just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And um, and we did the test, and we, we had like a 43 or something like that, which was quite good in them days. Well, of course, I came out. Went to the stewards, they did the bit check and everything else like that. And I'm talking to some people. People are talking to me and chit-chat, chit-chat, chit-chat. And I look up and suddenly the crowd's parting like the Red Sea. And here comes King Carl Gustav of Sweden and Prince Philip. And, of course, Prince Philip comes over and said, well, what do you think you've got, David? And I said, I've no idea, sir. Hopefully somewhere in the 40s. And he said, well, you've got a 43. Well done, David. Well done. He said, but you could have done more extension. And, you know, you cut the corner and so and so. And I'm thinking, give me a break, sir. You know, this is my first world championship. You know, and he's but he wasn't being he was being constructively right, critical. Right. critical. Um, so it was kind of cool that, you know, I had a king and a prince watching me do my first uh, competition. But that was that was the first world championships I drove at. Yeah. And did you compete then thereafter? Yes, I competed uh, at, for at several. I went to Arken a couple of times, and uh, I've competed for Great Britain uh, pair, four in hand, and I've competed uh, for America with a pair and a four in hand. What was the most... Everybody that's been in competition has things they do that they do it because it's part of the competition. And they they drive fours or they drive pairs uh, because it's part of the competition. It's part of what you do. What was the thing that you really enjoyed doing competitively? What part of the competition? Or was it pairs? Was it fours? Was it was it? Oh, uh, four in hand. Yeah. I, I, I mean, a pair is nice. A pair is fast. 
and furious, but it doesn't have the je ne sais quoi. The it doesn't have the the magic of a four in hand. The the pair is great, but with a four in hand, the capacity for catastrophe is so huge that if you make the tiniest mistake, it turns to crap so quickly. And to have that in your in your mind all the time is just is an unbelievable challenge because you're getting there's five minds all have to work together. The four horses are new. And if one of them isn't in sync, you're screwed. And of course that's the challenge of this combined driving. It's it's not just a great dressage horse, it's not just a great marathon horse or a great cones horse. They have to do everything well. And you have to you have to have your dressage head on for the dressage, you have to have your marathon head on for the marathon and your cones head on for the cones. And they all have different challenges. Um, but a four in hand is probably the most challenging and the most satisfying to drive. What's the most number of horses you ever drove in a hitch? I've 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 driven six is six. is kind of the most. But you, what we say in England is you should never drive any more than the king drives, and the king only ever drove four horses, so you should never really drive more than that. It was kind of considered a bit, um, not correct to like wearing purple. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So when you moved over here and you started, uh, you, did you compete while you were in the United States, obviously? Yes, I yeah. competed with uh, with Stuart Morris and for him a few times. I've competed pairs here and I went to the World Championships in Riesenbeck and uh, we had a bit of bad luck there. But, you know, again, that's the thing with horses. I mean, I was the best drive, pair driver and there was Lisa Singer and Larry Poulin and myself. Tucker Johnson was the coach and a great coach. Uh, Hardy Zanke was the uh, chef to keep and I was the best pair driver there and um, we were we'd practiced and practiced and practiced and um, it, it was my turn to to go in for the dressage and we were warming up in the warm-up ring before you went on the on-deck thing and the other part of that when my daughter was on the back so that was the proudest moment of my life to be at a world championships driving a pair of horses with with your offspring on the carriage i mean i can't tell you how satisfying that was but anyway we were warming up for the dressage and samantha said to me that horse is lame on the left i said no 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 it can't be it can't be it can't be anyway it got worse and worse and worse and then one of the stewards came out and said your horse is lame. I went, so i went back to the barn and they looked at it and said, take the other horse because you have to do the dressage you have to do the dressage said, take the other horse so we grabbed the other horse didn't have time to brush it off or braid it threw the harness on because they i was on in five minutes <laughs> This horse cantered the whole, because he wasn't warmed up, cantered the whole test. I, I mean, I, I think I got a 70. I should have had a 90. But we, we kind of got away with it. But they wanted, the other two could do a good dressage. They wanted me to not get eliminated so I could do a good marathon afterwards. Well, while I was in the uh, ring doing my dressage test, the, the farrier that we brought with us took the shoe off and there was an abscess. And he burst the abscess, put the shoe back on and the horse was dead sound. So if this had happened half an hour before or half an hour afterwards, we'd have been fine. So anyway, that was There's kind of horses for that's, you. that's horses for you, <laughs> and you just have to you just just have to. We were talking earlier on about the weg. You just have to suck it up when you know they're there because they have to be there. We're here there there because we 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 want to be there. So and you always have to bow to the to the horses and the horses' demeanor. Now you've been a coachman here in the United States for a few people. Mm-hmm. Yep, and. So when you left there, was that was that in your mind? Was it something that you wanted to continue doing, or were you looking for new adventures and you ended up back here? Or, you know, we all have those things that we dream about that someday we want to be, you know, this or that. And I had those two and didn't end up doing any of them. So what, you know, where did you have it in mind, or were you just playing it by the day at that point? Well, of course, you know, my dream was to be a world champion driver and marry a rich widow that owned a brewery. Um, <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but no, uh, you know we I both Mitch that missed that rich widow that owned the first. <laughs> but but I, I really just wanted to uh, drive as well as I t- could drive and and compete as well as I could compete. But one of my problems, and I admit it, was when I was competing, I didn't have the edge that a lot of competitors have because I was a trainer first. I was a trainer. And a very good one, by the way, having, you know, worked with you a tiny bit now. Well, when you're a trainer, you're always training. And and if you're competing, you can't be a trainer. 
you have to just compete. If you if you talk to someone like Chester Weber, he doesn't train the horses. Right. He has other people to train the horse. All he does is compete with them. Tucker Johnson does the same thing. He gets up and competes. And you can't you can't be going through the dressage test or through the obstacles training horses. You've got to just do the competition. So I think that was one of my drawbacks. But I'd kind of resigned myself to, to, to try to help people and teach people as much as I could. And I was lucky because I had the background of not just combined driving. I'd done lots of coaching with His Royal Highness Prince Philip and, and, and Postilion and parades and pleasure driving. So I, I thought I had a lot of depth and a lot to offer um, America. And, and the American government must have thought so because... I had what they call an A2 visa, which was an alien of extraordinary ability. Now, did you, today, I'm going to start asking you some random questions that we always ask uh, towards the end of these interviews for Equestrian Legends. Today, if you had the choice to, to, to if you had the choice to do a royal parade again or compete in, in a CDE, which would you do? Oh, that's a very good question because they're both real eye-openers. Um... Probably the royal procession because it's not judged. It's it's uh, the 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 problem now with with combined driving is there's so many variables, uh, whether it's windy or rainy, and what judges are there, and what technical delegates there, and who likes you and who doesn't like you, and politics. So I would probably say uh, doing a royal parade because there's so much more to that than meets the eye. If you had to go back in time. And you had the opportunity to do something else other than the horses, and you had to do something else other than horses. What would it have been? I don't think I could have done anything else because you know horses are uh, are not just a job to me; they're a passion, they're my life. Um, you know, I've lost lots of sleep, lots of tears. I've had lots of happiness, and horses have given me everything. That, that they can possibly give me. And the challenge of, if you speak to someone like Uncle George, George Bowman Sr., he'll say the same thing. The greatest pleasure is training a horse or training someone to drive a horse. Um, it, it just gives you so, an immeasurable amount of satisfaction. What is something that nobody knows about you that you want them to know about you? I've got three sisters, and I had two sisters older than me and one sister younger than me. And for the first six or seven years of my life, I was dressed as a little girl. Is that right? Because why would my parents <laughs> buy any clothes, more clothes? Because right? they had clothes. And clothes they, they had. So really, I mean, I could milk this for all it's worth, but I could have turned out to be anything. So I was dressed as a girl for the first... So um, you can take that how you like, but... Uh, <laughs> Never wore a dress since. No, 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 exactly. <laughs> Nor any desire to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> any of the sisters ever get into horses? Yeah, my younger sister rode a lot. Yeah, she fox hunted. Um, my two older sisters, not much at all. Are and you course, close with the one? Are, are they all still around? Are you? Yes, close I, my three sisters. My, I'm an orphan at the moment. My uh, uh, Both my parents are dead, but my, my father fox hunted till he was, yeah, in his 80s. So, um, uh, but yes, my, I, I see my three sisters quite regularly as regularly as you can do they live across the other side of the ocean but do you have something like a lot of people paint and you know have those other things they do other than horses do you have that other thing i don't and i wish i did um i i i used to ski a little bit but really this disease called horses is really just embedded in me i i just i can't cure it and i don't really want to cure it it's just you know, I go away with Gloria now, and we go on vacation. And uh, unless we see a horse every two days, we suffer withdrawal symptoms. You know. And you've, because of your occupation and what you chose to do, you've seen more of the world than than most ninety nine percent of people have. Yeah, all, all around Europe, uh, Australia. We were in Central America last year with Gloria Costa Rica. Yeah, I've travelled the world with horses. I was in Australia, I think, three years ago doing a clinic there, and I've, I've been to Australia. The first clinic I ever did in Australia, I actually mentioned it to... I was invited by the ADS, the Australian Driving Society, and uh, I mentioned it to Prince Philip that I'd been invited. He said, uh, oh, when is it? And I told him the month. He says, oh, come with us, we're going. So I flew, and I still have all the paperwork, I flew with the Queen and Prince Philip on the Queen's flight to to Australia as part of the royal entourage, <laughs> as it were. So. Do you still talk to him? Oh, yes. I went yeah. to his... Uh 
I went to his 80th birthday party um, at Windsor Castle, and uh, about four years ago, I was invited to his 90th birthday party, and uh, I actually took Gloria with me because I needed uh, a date. So I asked Gloria, it was funny because I said to her, would you like to come to England to a birthday party? She said, why the hell would I want to go to England for a birthday party? <laughs> I said, well, it's Prince Philip's. Okay, when should we go? <laughs> <laughs> when are we leaving? <laughs> no, I, I see him quite regular, and um, yes, he's he's... He signed several books for me, and uh, he he'll always talk to me uh, whenever I see him. And uh, there were two books in specific written years ago that you were involved with that uh, that Prince Philip was involved with. Tell us about those. Well, what 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 happened is we were we were driving at Sandringham every Christmas for six weeks, and Prince Philip would we would chat about. Oh, do you remember last year at? Royal Windsor Horse Show, when we hit that post and that horse fell over or we nearly tipped over in the water or remember when we were teaching this horse to go into the water, it wouldn't go in, it jumped and blah, 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 blah. And I said to, I said to him, you should write this down, sir. Oh, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Well, we came back from Sandringham and he went on a cruise on the Royal Yacht Britannia somewhere or something like that. And I saw him about four weeks later and he said, have a look at this. And he thrust this manuscript down at me. I've still got bits of it, actually. Read it and tell me what you think. And, of course, he had written down all these thoughts. And, of course, I had to do some things in the margins. And that became the first book. Um, and what was it called? It was called Competition Carriage Driving. And then the next year I said to him, well, uh, let me I digress. Do you remember the first video cameras? They were kind of fairly big. Yeah, and then you had this huge, big. And then you had this big suitcase. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was the battery. That, the battery, yes. <laughs> I do remember. <laughs> well, we were at Sandringham driving out New Year's Day, and Prince Philip said to me, um, "Oh, guess what the Queen bought me for Christmas?" Well, what do you say to that? Right. <laughs> Hello. Yes. So <laughs> whatever I said, she wanted to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I bought you Africa. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, so I said, "Oh, I have no idea, sir. What, what did Her Majesty buy you?" He says, "Well, you've got to come and look at this. When we get back from driving after lunch, meet me in my study at two o'clock." So there he's got this wonderful JVC, I remember it was, video that, camera. Those were the first. Yeah, exactly. This video camera. He said, oh, we can have so much fun with this. We're going to video the training. We're going to video that. Of course, nowadays it's all blah, 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 blah. Well, of course, then when we're out driving, I said to him, we should make a book of the film. A book of the film? A, a film, film of the, the book? A film of the book. <laughs> the other way around. Sorry, that's a spoonerism. Uh, not, not a spoonerism, but you know what I mean. Um, and uh, he said, oh, that's a good idea. So we th I thought, naively, we could just make it ourselves. But, of course, it, was, it turned into a big production. And we made this uh, video. It was put on television, actually, called The Royal Four in Hand. And it's, actually, it's on my YouTube page. You can, anyone can go and look at it. And it's on YouTube. It's called Where, The Royal Four in Hand. And just David Saunders. Just David go, Saunders. go on to David Saunders and you'll see it there. And it's called The Royal Four in Hand. And it's, it's, it's actually very nice because you get an idea of Prince Philip talking about the mares, the homebred mares, Harrier. She was named after, her mother was Eagle, so she was named after a raptor. She was a harrier, you know, but we called her Harry, you know. And, um, and he talks about the harness and he talks about the carriages and you can see his involvement in the, in the, in the movie. It's, it's really quite fascinating. So that was the, the movie we made. Um, so it was, I, I'm not saying it was all my idea, but I think I was instrumental in him doing those things. Pushing him to do it. Exactly. So if... If there's a message from your life, what would it be? Never, ever, ever blame the horse. Don't take it personally. Because once you start taking it personally, if the horse that you're training, I'm talking about training a horse, whether it's to ride or drive, if you take it personally, you've kind of lost the battle. So never take it personally and never blame the horse. And a message for young kids coming up. I know it's not quit high school and, and uh, apply at the uh, at at the castle. Um, so, what's the message for kids coming up who who want to lead an interesting, eventful life like you have? Do something with horses, whether it's riding them or driving them, because what what horses teach you is that you have to take care of them. You have to be responsible. You can't just because you were out all night party and you have to get up and feed your horse in the morning you have to take care of it and you only get out of a horse what you put in so if you if you want to win you have to take care of it so i only have two more questions for you the first one is what has david saunders not done that he still wants to do in this life what's on your bucket list traveling wise i'd love to go to south america terra del fuego i asked prince philip what where 
what part of the world he he found most fascinating and he said you know south of you know Argentina and Chile there Terra del Fuego I'd like to go to New Zealand I never went there um I'd love to yeah I'd I'd love to see more carriages and more different types of horses um there's nothing really especially especially I mean I'd like to live a long life and meet still keep meeting interesting people and in- what what are your parting words for this conversation? What are the, what haven't you said yet that you want to make sure gets out there? <sighs> you want something philosophical? No, uh, whatever. Well, it's diff- really difficult to to answer that question. Um, if you're going to choose anything with horses, um, y- you have to be dedicated to them because if you do anything part time, it just doesn't work. Um, and, and, and I find that when I'm teaching people, if, unless they're really committed to it, they're just wasting their time and their money. And, um, and also philosophies, you know, in the winter time here in Florida, you throw a stick and you'll hit 20 trainers and they're from all around the world coming over here, trying to make a living. Um, and the, you know, I tend to think of them, you know, you pay your money and you pick your guru and you know, they'll all get you through the goalposts. Some will take your left field, some will take your right field, some will take you down the middle, but you can't mess around too much. You know, people sort of say, well, I want to learn from everybody. But in the end, you have to stick with some sort of philosophy. And there are a lot of different philosophies out there from, you know, all these reasoning people and, you know, these different people that do different things with horses. Um, but I would say you've really got to pick your guru and make your mind up and, and stick with them and try to stick to some sort of philosophy or other. There's no right answer. There's only a right answer for you, and you have to decide what that right answer is. Well, as I always say to Gloria, there's one golden rule with horses, and that is there are no rules. Well, let's leave it with that. Thank you, David Saunders. Thank you, Glenn. Very nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you.